Hello, friends, and welcome back to the intro. This is your host, Matt Delavalli, a.k.a. MDV, and I'm joined today on the show by three-time CrossFit Games veteran athlete, Carlene Matthews. Carlene's also the owner of CrossFit St. Helens here in the Pacific Northwest. She's a new mom, and she's also somebody who is very passionate about helping those in need through the transformative power of fitness. Now, in this episode, Carlene and I dive into a number of things, but we really get into talking about the pressures of performance, the dangers of comparison, and the role that social media plays in all of that, specifically within CrossFit Games and CrossFit Games training. We also cover a whole host of other interesting topics, including Carlene's pregnancy, her training pre and post baby, and her work with the veteran and substance abuse communities through the Big Fish Foundation and Recovery Rx. Now, this episode was really special to me. Carlene and I met way back in the day at the Reebok CrossFit One training grounds, and it was great to catch up with her. So without further ado, grab a notebook, grab a chair, and let's learn a thing or two from Carlene Matthews. Let's go. All right, ladies and gents, and welcome back to the intro. I'm excited to have somebody on the podcast today who I met years back at a really special event at Reebok CrossFit One. The training grounds event brought athletes from all over the world into Canton, Massachusetts, and I got to meet Carlene Matthews there for the first time, an absolute stud of an athlete, a multi-time games competitor, the owner of CrossFit St. Helens. Welcome to the show, Carlene. Thanks for having me. So that's awesome. Yeah, I'm super excited to chat with you. I remember when we first were planning training grounds, I can't remember which year it was, but I think, you know, we ran it for three or four years at Reebok CrossFit One. And I think you attended multiple, did you attend multiple times mm -hmm. or just one time? Multiple times, yeah. Yeah, multiple times. And you were a three times uh, individual games competitor, correct? Yes. Yeah. Well, and then masters. And yep, masters as well. And, yeah. you know, from the training grounds, that was maybe in 2014. 14, 15, 2015. 2015 was my first year at the games. And, okay. uh, I, that was the first year I went to the training grounds. Yeah. Well, tell, let's start there. Tell us a little bit about like what that experience was like in, in 2015, being a first time games competitor coming to Reebok and seeing all of these amazing athletes, uh, in this one place. Yeah, it was, um, something that, uh, I think, I think it was Emily Abbott that, um, said like, Hey, I think she had been before and she was like, do it like, go, <laughs> this is like something that, um, you know, she basically said like, you, you only have the, you may only have this opportunity to go to the games once. And so do everything that you can do, like do the, do the training grounds, do the, you know, I, there's really, there's really not, not that much else, but, but prepare as um, much as you can. Yeah. And like take advantage of all these cool opportunities that you have. And so, um, we made it a point to, um, get some time and come out and, um, it was really, really cool. Um, not only was it like a blast, like super fun to, um, you know, be out there. It was really like, I, I, the first year I went, I was like, this is, this is like me being a professional athlete. Like I feel like a professional athlete. Um, I'm going to this event. I have no other responsibilities other than preparing myself for the games. Um, and we had, you know, like food taken care of and, uh, we, all we did was eat, sleep and cross it. Yeah. Uh, so it was really, <laughs> really cool. Um, and just like the, 
you know, like being at Reebok. And so like the, uh, kind of pampering that we got from that and being able to try on all the shoes and apparel and everything was really cool. Um, and then the, the coaching staff that was there, uh, was, you know, something that I hadn't really ever experienced. So I had my coach who's amazing, but, um, having the different, uh, you know, gymnastics coach, running coach, uh, weightlifting coach. Yeah. So that was really cool. And it, and it opened up, um, a lot of different opportunities for me from there, like being able to connect with those coaches outside of, um, the training grounds and like throughout the year, uh, that was really, really cool. Well, very cool. Yeah. That, I mean, it was kind of like fucking, uh, elite CrossFit summer camp for however long that event was, I think it was like a week or 10 days or something like that. But you know, athletes from all over the world. It didn't matter if you were sponsored by Nike or Noble or Under Armour or Reebok or whatever. Everybody came together. They trained at Reebok. You guys got after an insane amount of training over the course yeah. of 10 days. But like you said, also had time to connect with people and meet some new coaches and form relationships. Do you keep in touch with anybody from uh, like the training grounds era or like any close games athletes? Um. I mean, I feel like anyone that I, uh, you know, connected with there, like I still have like a good connection with When I went my first year, I went with, um, Jess core, who's mm-hmm. from CrossFit Fort Vancouver. Um, so that was really cool to like go with somebody I knew, um, and then the, I think the next year I went, I went by myself. Um, and so that was like a new event. And I, uh, ended up like just rooming with, uh, Bethany Shadburn, um, and Kristen Holte. So I got to know them a lot better. And so I feel like I do have like a better connection cool. with them. I don't really keep in touch with, um, them on a regular basis, yeah. but Yeah. Well, I mean, it was a really special time. I think that was at least for me, like the absolute pinnacle of the excitement of the games. You had a ton of big names around. You had big brands throwing a lot of money into it. There was a lot of like a lot of just energy around the games. You were still in Carson at that point. You know, everybody knew you were going to go out to California. You were going to compete in the tennis stadium. It was going to be fucking wild. How has training changed for you since that 2015? 14, 2015 time to where you're at right now in, in 2021? Um, yeah, well, so training's changed a lot. <laughs> um, I, uh, am at a place right now where I'm not, um, I'm not training to compete. Mm. Um, I'm not, uh, you know, I even like when I went as, as a master's, like I wasn't really training to compete. Um, and I think that that's the cool thing about the master's division is that you don't really have to, uh, it's an opportunity to, uh, still compete if you are at that elite level and, um, but not like destroy your body and make your entire life about the CrossFit games. Mm. Um, so, I mean, now like I train, um, uh, to be completely honest, I don't really know how to not like do multiple sessions in the day mm. and, um, you know, kind of destroy myself on a regular basis. Uh, so I'm kind of back to doing that. Like today we, <laughs> we did like two workouts today yeah. and, 
Um, so it is kind of just like what I know to do and yeah. like what I enjoy doing, but I don't have like all the, I'm not doing, um, wake up endurance, gymnastics, Olympic weightlifting, Metcon track. Like I'm not doing that kind of mm-hmm. style training, which is what I was doing. Um, you know, when I was training for the games, uh, but I just kind of try and do what I enjoy now. Mm-hmm. Um, so that doesn't, you know, it doesn't bode well for like being a competitor cause, uh, not really working my weaknesses as much as I should. Yeah. For or sure. I, as much as I would, if I was going to compete. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I think the general understanding is for the individual open division, let's call it the open, uh, whatever age range above teen, uh-huh. uh, whatever you have to train your fucking ass off all year round. And that's a full time gig. You are, if you want to compete at that level, if you want to do well at that level, you have to be a professional athlete and you have to do and make the sacrifices that a professional athlete athlete is going to make. And I never put myself into that category ever based on my physical prowess. Then also the willingness of uh, my willingness I had to suffer. But I think, you know, in the master's category, you're still training pretty hard. I mean, you just kind of said it, although you're not going into the same kind of intensity level and jam-packed day that you might've been when you were in an individual, you're still getting after it a couple of times a day and, you know, dropping that hammer, I'm sure. Have you felt that the training volume and like the kind of step back from the individual side of things, has that reduced any sort of like mental or emotional stress that might be involved in that kind of pursuit? Because I I would imagine that going after an individual spot on the floor at the CrossFit games is highly, highly stressful. And I'm sure there's a level of stress with the masters, but do you feel different? Oh yeah, it's way different. And, uh, I was even talking to, um, James Hobart about this a couple weekends ago that like, you know, taking the training volume down and not really like 100% going like I'm going, I'm training to be a master or I'm training to go to the games, but we're just trying to, we're doing the open and see what happens. And, um, that has, uh, it not only does it make your, like, it made my body feel better. Like the, the, training less for me ended up putting me in a better place than training more. Mm. Um, I had my best year, um, like my best finish as a master, um, from decreasing my training volume. Mm. Um, and once I made it to the games, there was like some focus on like, okay, now we do need to dial in like some skill stuff and whatever. But, um, it was, it was, it definitely like decreases the stress. It allows you to take, it allowed me to take, um, a lot of expectation away, Mm. um, which decreases stress. Um, so I didn't have that huge expectation of like, I have to do this, this, and this in order to get to the games or, you know, everyone else is doing stuff. So I have to be doing, um, this, this, and this, or I need to be making these lifts. Um, mm. and that, that expectation wasn't there. The expectation yeah. was just like, Hey, go out and do what you can and see where it lands you. 
And that ended up being mentally my best year, like mentally going into the games, like had the most fun um, because I didn't have huge expectations on myself. I just went out and like, we'll just do the best we can, like see what happens. Um, So that was, is definitely a huge mind shift. Yeah, um, that can be very freeing, I'm sure. I mean, to allow yourself to take a step back and say, hey, I'm going to go out there and trust my training and have some fun with this and just see what's up. And, you know, I'm, I'm really glad that you're able to do that as a master. I want to talk a little bit about some of the stuff that's changed in your life. And obviously, congratulations, you have a 10 month old baby. And yes. obviously, life is kind of progressing for you in that way. But uh, if we could go back to when you were an individual athlete, <clears throat> you talked about the, str- the kind of stress and comparison mindset that you might've had, or some athletes have when they're in that field. I I bet a lot of people out there look at that individual athlete and they go, Oh, those people just go out there and, you know, they probably just have fun the whole, the whole time. And, you know, there's, you know, they're showing off their muscles and they're doing all this great stuff and the camaraderie, rah, rah. I'm sure there's a side of it. That's like that. But can you talk a little bit about the maybe, I don't want to say darker side, but you know, the side of this, this is mentally and emotionally a little tougher to deal with. I'm, I'm interested in that side of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, I can obviously only speak, um, from my personal experience, sure. but, uh, you know, I would say that that's, a, that's a huge thing. Um, it, it does, you know, everyone wants to be the games athlete until they find out what the games athlete has to do. Mm. And, um, it's, it's not, uh, you know, it's not all unicorns and rainbows. Um, it is, is full-time job. Uh, it is daily grinding in and out. Um, it's, uh, everything is revolved around that. And then, um, you know, and then you have, you have two sides of it. You have the one person who loves to compete and thrives in competition. And then you have the other person who, who competition kind of is like stressful, but that is a part of the, that's a part of the gig, right? Like that's a part of the job is the competition side of it. Can I ask you a quick um, question? Do you, do you think mm-hmm. that both of those personalities live in every athlete or do you think that there are some people that exclusively thrive in, in, in either or? Um, yes and no. I mm. mean, personally for me, I am not somebody that actually, no, yes. Yes. I think that they're both because as much as I would say, um, I don't thrive in competition setting. I fucking do. Mm. I do. I absolutely do. Um, I know for like a fact that like I pull, you know, that extra five or 10%, um, out in competition. Uh, but leading up to competition and like going into it, like, I don't like it. Mm. I don't, I don't, I don't want to be, I, uh, I don't know. I, I love the training side of being a games athlete or Mm. CrossFit. I love the daily, um, journey of that, but with that becomes like you, you have to test, you have to test yourself. Um, so, you know, as much as I would say that I, uh, I don't thrive in competition. I do. Mm. Um, 
And I just don't necessarily like enjoy the competition side of it as Mm -hmm. much as uh, I I know that there are some athletes who really just like, just put me on the competition floor. Yeah. And I'm not somebody that wants, I don't necessarily want to be on that competition floor, but I do um, excel on the, on the competition floor. Yeah, no, that, I think that makes sense where you're saying, you know, you don't necessarily love being out there, but Hey, when I get out there, I'm going to fucking go. And that, that to me, I can definitely understand, you know, in, in your training. And I, I, I bet that this is different for every athlete, but in your experience, how much did you think about what other athletes might have been doing or not doing? And, you know, I know for me, at least in, in my small circles and the stuff that I do right now, you know, in particular with jujitsu, Sometimes I think about what other people are doing. You know, is this person training more? Did they go to class tonight? Did they roll harder than I did today? And I can imagine that that can also translate into the training and to the mindset of the athlete who's going to go out there, you know, whether or not you're an individual or a master. But specifically mm-hmm. when you were training as an individual, what was that like for you in knowing that, hey, there's this field of 30 other fucking women out there who train their ass off? Yeah, I, I think that that comparison and that, um, you know, the social media, Instagram reel, highlight reels are oh man really, really hard. And I know for me personally, like I would get caught up in that a lot. Like, oh shit, somebody, this person is like doing this lift and like, that's a lot more than me. And, um, and, and I think that that for me fed into the, uh, almost that fear of competition, um, because like, I, I'm not doing what they're doing. Mm. Um, I'm not able to like lift that and I'm working my ass off and I'm not there. Um, so am I good enough? Um, am I like, am I going to make, look like a fool out there? Uh, and yeah. I mean, I, I just think that that comparison of the, um, you know, knowing what other people are doing or not knowing and that like, I don't know if this person's like, if everyone else is doing this, but I'm going to do whatever I can because I have no idea yeah. what they're doing. And I would always assume that they're doing more. So, yeah. which would force me to do more. Yeah. I mean, it's a little bit, obviously the, you know, the, the cliche line here and in the line that I use a lot of times when I'm talking to athletes is you got to focus, you focus on yourself, right? You try to put those blinders on, not worry about the stuff that's going on, but in, it's nearly fucking impossible in the world that we live in to not see if people are putting their stuff out there on social media, what other people are doing and they're showing you their highlight reel but you're kind of damned if you do and damned if you don't, because if somebody's not showing you some stuff on social media, you're wondering, Oh, what, what is Carlene doing today? Did Carlene hit this number and I missed it. And it's a very interesting thing to talk about. Um, And um, I'm thankful that you were able to share some of that. How has some of that stress uh, alleviated, you know, as you've kind of matured this game, like I said, you're now into your master's competition and you know, you're a mom now, uh, as your life kind of has evolved, have you noticed some of those things kind of de-escalate or kind of fall away a little bit? Um, that's funny. Uh, <laughs> uh, no. Oh um, yeah. 
because it's it's like constantly there still you know so now we're in this place where like oh so now we get to compete with all the moms the crossfit moms (laughs) and um what's so-and-so doing and -and so-and-so got back to training at this um this many months postpartum and um this person's baby is doing this and this and this and um it's fucking hard wow. you know like it's hard to disconnect from that and um really just stay in your own lane and uh you know as much as i want to you know don't want to compare uh myself to other people like it it is it's Mm. it's almost impossible because it's right there like you have to just like you have to unfollow people you have to unfollow people um and it's like you don't really want to necessarily like hey i want to like see what they're doing but um i catch myself like getting into this like oh well they're doing this so like i should should i be doing this um but yeah, it's just like that constant reminder of like, stay in your own lane. Um, like you're not, you don't have to be like, you don't have to be doing what that person is doing. Yeah. Um, no, so. I, you know, I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have laughed when, when you gave that initial answer, but I was expecting your answer to be like, Oh, well, yeah, you know, kind of things have <laughs> calmed down for me a little bit. And you know, the comparison game isn't as much, but I think anybody can relate to that. You know, like I said before, I I find myself in a similar position and I'm not in a competitive, hyper-competitive arena. You know, you look at somebody's highlight reel on social media and it's hard, even though we are both smart people and I know that what people are putting out there on social media is the best representation of the best day of the best thing that happened to them at the best time. It's not fucking real life. Right. It's extremely hard to separate that element from, hey, I, I, this is what I did over here in, in my daily routine and my day, and I had a bad day, and this person had a perfect day. It's really, it's a difficult thing to navigate. And I think some of this sounds a little bit more like a relationship with social media and, and how that is used and, and as a tool or a hindrance. But this is a valuable conversation. I know that a lot of people can relate to that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's a, I think it's a huge thing that, uh, we are, we're just thrown into now, mm. you know, like it's, it's just, uh, you know, and it's interesting too, because like I could have this conversation with somebody else who's not in the CrossFit space and they don't get it. Mm. Do you think it's specific to cross? Sorry to interrupt you. Do you think it's, there's something specific to CrossFit about social media that makes it especially difficult? I I think that, um, we're just very, uh, social media influenced and, um, you know, we're just so into it. We're just so in it, you know? And, um, yeah, I just think that like any other any like any of my friends who aren't in the CrossFit like world, which is like very few, like one or two, um, it it's just they don't they don't see it the same way, and uh, yeah. so it's it it is interesting to um, see how much we're kind of like entrenched in this like social media, um, you know, I love it to hate it kind of thing, like yeah. I don't know. I, I really didn't think our conversation was going to go this way, but I'm glad that it did because this is, this is really fascinating for me. 
if you think about how social media kind of evolved and gained traction and how CrossFit kind of evolved and gained traction, they're both kind of growing on a very similar timeline, right? They, they both kind of came up and came about and kind of got influenced by one another to a, to a degree. And social media has always been a part of CrossFit, at least the, the competitive, more modern side of things, you know, maybe back in 2006, it wasn't as big of a deal, but it's a huge part of what people do. And there definitely is an unhealthy side to it. Yeah. Have you, have you like ever experimented with any sort of like, um, you know, time when you're going to take off from your phone or like, Hey, I'm not going to look at certain things or, or anything like that. Yeah. There was, um, like, so training for the games, uh, in 20, must have been 2016, 2017. I actually worked with like a mental, um, like mindset coach. And, um, so we would work on like, uh, you know, there was a time where I was struggling with that comparison game. And so I had to go and like unfollow a bunch of people, like just unfollow all these people that I was, you know, trying to like compare myself to. And like, you know, you like feel bad because you're like, ah, like like, unfollowed you. Like, sorry. But, um, you know, it was for like my, like sanity. And, um, and then when I was competing, like regional, like when it was regionals, I would go kind of like dark for like the weekend because I didn't want to hear the update shows and the, um, talk, whether it was good or bad. Like mm-hmm. I didn't want to hear, um, what they were saying. Cause I didn't want that stuff to like get in my head and I didn't want to like check the leaderboard. So, um, when it, you know, comes down to like a time where I've had to, um, really just focus on myself and, or wanted to really focus on myself. Um, yeah, I like had like the discipline to, uh, shut off for like a period of time. Mm. Um, but it's always, you know, it's, it, it's hard too, as a CrossFit athlete, cause that's, um, you know, sponsors and well, where you make whatever. And exactly. And you, and you, you know, you have to, uh, you know, share kind of your experiences. And so, um, so yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, I also like doing the big fish foundation, um, fundraiser event. Like we were, I was kind of just like off the grid and it was either like go on my phone and check social media or my text messages or whatever, or eat. And I like chose to eat and recover. So, um, I wasn't on my phone the whole weekend and, uh, it was refreshing, I yeah. guess. Um, but at the same time, like, it just kind of felt like a little bit out of the loop, you know, yeah. but it wasn't horrible. Yeah, there's a lot of layers to this conversation, in particular, if you're somebody who has a bigger following, and you're also using social media as a vehicle to tell your story and to generate additional income or to push an agenda. It becomes not only uh, a, a, a way to interact with people, but it becomes a part of like, your bit, your business, it's, it becomes an extension of how you need to make money and to live. And that complicates the balance that you have to strike with it from the mental and emotional side. You know, um, I don't have a tremendous amount of followers. I think I got like 7,000 followers or something like that, but like, I feel compelled to, to post every day and to try to generate content to continue, uh, you know, a growth platform and, you know, somebody yeah. like you, 33, 35,000, then all the way up the ladder, those people are 
are posting and relying on that for part of their lifeline. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. How, so now we're 2021, like I said before, you've, you've got a 10 month old baby. Um, how was your training uh, or how was life kind of impacted during your pregnancy? And then like immediately after, um, how, how did, how did you deal with training and, and the pregnancy and kind of immediately after how was that? What was that like? Yeah. Um, so, uh, leading up to pregnancy, um, I had to kind of decrease some volume, um, just in terms of, uh, I had a hard time getting pregnant. So we Mm -hmm. did fertility treatment. Um, and so, uh, you know, trying to decrease volume, trying to put on like some body fat, um, yeah. yeah, uh, uh, was it was that was challenging um that was kind of like the first challenge and then um through like fertility treatments uh they were always like keep your heart rate down keep your heart rate down um which for me i found that like i'm i'm not the norm i'm not the norm so um what you normally tell what you tell to every single one of your patients Mm. it shouldn't be told to me um because like I, you know, telling me to keep my heart rate at 140 is just like, it wasn't realistic for me. Mm. Um, I didn't necessarily need to. Uh, so I did try and focus on keeping it at, on the lower end and like keeping it down. Um, so in the first early part of pregnancy, uh, it was a lot of like, keep the heart rate down, keep the heart rate down. Um, a lot of like checking my like watch of like, where's my heart rate. Um, and not really just annoyed me. Um, Mm. because I'd be like, I don't feel like I'm doing anything. I don't feel like I'm, you know, I don't feel like I'm doing too much. Uh, so it was a fine like balance for me of being like, okay, like let's not get it up you know, let's stay in the range of like 140 to 150. Like it gets to 160, like, all right, then we're going to stop and like slow it down. Mm -hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, I trained the entire time through pregnancy. Um, meaning like I moved daily. Uh, I, um, at some point made a commitment to myself that like, I'm going to move every single day. Uh, I, you know, competing wise, I would do like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday on Thursday, active recovery, Friday on Saturday on Sunday off slash active recovery. Um, and I got to where like, there was no days off. And, um, because I wasn't training the way I was training before. So I didn't, really need a rest day and my body felt, yeah, my body felt so much better to move. Mm. Um, so early on it was a struggle. Like I would like be like, uh, I don't want to do anything. Um, but I forced myself to just at least like get on the bike and ride the bike at a slow pace for 30, 40 minutes. Um, and then once I got into the second trimester, I, uh, got a new life (laughs) and, um, and it felt, everything felt really good. And so I worked out, um, as I would normally, what do you, what do you mean by you got a new life? 
uh, everything felt good. Like energy was there. Interesting. Um, I, my body just like felt good. Um, so, and it was, that was kind of what my doctor had explained to me is that like, you're going to go kind of down and then you're going to go up and then you're going to go back down again. Mm. Um, and that was what happened. Like I second trimester, I felt really good. Energy levels were really high. Um, it was as if I wasn't even pregnant. Um, and then third trimester just got hard because I was so big. So it just, things got, um, just hard to move. Mm. But, um, I did a lot of stuff that, um, I, I was really lucky. Uh, I did a lot of stuff that I, you know, had been doing. So jumping, I, I didn't lose jumping. I didn't, uh, I did pull-ups for a very long time. Um, I did, uh, I ran the whole time. Mm. Um, it was, Sorry to interrupt. Did your strength numbers, uh, did they go up, stay the same, kind of go down a little bit? Did you lift the whole time? Yeah, I, I lifted most of the time. Um, uh, they like, they went up a little, like some of like my like snatch and like squatting, like went up a little and then it went back down just yeah. because I didn't want to like brace, um, as I got more, uh, more like further along. Um, but yeah, like uh, carrying more like mass moves, mass, like carrying more weight. Um, I was able to like hit some like pretty decent numbers at one point. And I was like, man, this is like a, this is a PR from like <laughs> before. Um, so yeah, so strength kind of went up and then it went down because I just stopped like focusing on it. So postpartum, like strength has been the hardest thing to get back for me. Um, and, to be completely honest, like that's one of those things that like, it's a weakness that I am like choosing not to focus on because I don't care to do it. Um, it's, it was really, really hard for me, uh, training for, uh, since I started CrossFit to build the strength that I built. Mm. Um, and that was one of my like biggest weaknesses and something that I worked really hard on. Uh, so now ma like max strength in your lifts. Mm -hmm. mm. So now like trying to get it back is just not, I know how hard it was. So I mm. like, don't have any desire to do it. Mm. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, I feel like I, through training or through pregnancy, um, through training, uh, the whole time, I feel like that really set me up for a good place afterwards. Um, it was really boring for the first, <laughs> first couple six weeks. weeks. Yeah. Um, but I, I wasn't like, I wasn't one of those people that like got right back to it. I, uh, thought I was good at like four days postpartum and I tried to walk downstairs and was like, this is what they're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, um, yeah, so we went for like a walk and like four days postpartum and I was like, yep, 800 meters. I'm done. Uh, like that too much. Um, and, uh, and I was like, I need more rest. I need more recovery. Um, so I took it and, uh, I did a lot of slow, um, uh, postpartum boring 
slow stuff that I hated every single day, but it was a game changer for me, like a game changer. Um, cause now I have no, no, like, uh, no repercussions of the pregnancy. Like my body, um, for lack of a better term bounced back. I like hate that. Like, you know, you should just bounce back. Uh, but my body did respond really well. So in, in, in that, um, in the training leading up to your pregnancy and then during pregnancy, did you specifically stop anything? Like what did you kind of, as you were going through, like kind of feel your way through it, the things that felt comfortable. And then as you got deeper into the pregnancy, did you avoid suspended movements or like one of the big ones that everybody talks about, you know, at some point, the muscle-ups, the pull-ups, the rope climbs, those come down. Uh, like you said, the bounding for you wasn't as much of an issue until later in the pregnancy, but uh, how, how did you handle that? Like the movement elimination part of it? Yeah. Um, if I'm honest, it was hard. It was really hard. Um, it was hard for me to lose movements. Um, I fought for them. Mm. Uh, I fought to keep them and I fought for like ways to, um, control my fitness, you know? Um, cause I was, I felt like I was losing a little bit of control. Uh, so, you know, uh, sit-ups for me were like the first one to kind of go. Yeah. Um, once I started, um, I got to a place where I realized that, um, I wasn't trying to build anymore. Uh, and it, I, it was just a little bit of like maintaining. And, um, I think somebody said to me, like, you're going to be fine. Like you don't need to do sit-ups. Like you don't need to have, like, you don't need to have abs right now. Mm. Um, so, uh, I, I, I got to a place of acceptance, I guess. Um, but yeah, so it took out, um, sit-ups and, uh, I, but I kept like toes to bar because I was able to like really use my lats a lot. Um, (laughs) I, I was constantly videoing myself and like watching for, um, coning of my abs, um, or my, my, my belly. Um, and so once I would let start coning, I, um, would take it out, um, that like movement out. Um, I think I, I tried rope climbs like deep in and I was like, Oh, nope, those aren't there anymore. (laughs) Um, And so it was like, I, I think I, I just trusted my judgment and um, cause it was like, Oh, this, this scares me. And if this scares me, then it's not a good idea. Um, And uh, yeah, I just kept, um, you know, listening to my body. And if I, you know, felt something off, then I would not do it. And if it felt okay, then I did it. And, um, as much as like, there's, I feel like there's a big fear factor of like, Oh, like you can't do this. You can't do this. You can't do this. Um, but for me, I just like tried to like, I just experimented and did what my body wanted to do. Um, and so it was, you know, felt decent for me. Yeah, this is a, another interesting aspect of this conversation. You know, I think from the coach's side of the equation, I've coached a lot of women through uh, pregnancies and, uh, you know, earlier on in my career, it was a little bit, um, I didn't have as much experience in dealing with it. So 
I tried to go out there and get education, talk to women who had had fit pregnancies. I was lucky enough uh, to be around uh, Heather Bergeron during a few of her pregnancies and uh, seeing how she managed those. I, you know, I think from the, from coach's perspective, it, it can be difficult uh, especially as a male, you know, uh, and not knowing what this person is thinking or feeling. And then you have this elevated level of responsibility where you feel that your actions here and, and what you uh, tell this person they are going to do for the day or suggest that they do for the day, um, you know, having a, a consequential impact on them, you know, whether or not that that, that nothing happens and they have a great workout and they have a great healthy and fit pregnancy, or you maybe suggest something that's wrong or they do something wrong or whether or not the suggestion is wrong and something just happens. There's, there's a risk involved in dealing with athletes generally. And you double that risk kind of when you're dealing with a, a woman who's, who's pregnant. And, you know, I, I am thankful we are in a community where there's a lot of resources out there, birth fit and a few others that have great, education on how coaches can can help manage these situations but for me it's always been communicating with the athlete understanding have they gone through this before have they talked with their doctor have they consulted with their doctor what did their doctor say about exercise and then talking to them about my experience in working with other women who have gone through this and this is generally what i see but I'm never going to know what you're feeling and you are always going to have to be the arbiter of, Hey, this is what I'm comfortable with. I'm not comfortable with this. I feel good doing this. I don't feel good doing this. And I, I essentially, I don't take myself out of the equation. I'm there and I'm talking and I'm guiding, but I always defer to the, to the woman um, who who's going through the movement or the workout. And if there's anything that I'm not comfortable with, I will always vocalize that and say, you might be comfortable with this, but I, I'm not comfortable right now. And maybe we can discuss something where we can meet in the middle about how we can get through this workout today. It's a tough one. It really is. I think it's so hard. And the, the hardest part about it is that you can have all the education in the world around it, but every female is different. Everybody. And yeah. everyone is going to have a different experience. And so you can have the fittest in the world have complications in their pregnancy. And then you can have somebody who's, who's, you know, comes to the gym three times a week, have no complications and be able to train their entire pregnancy yeah. and, and not have any issues, you know? So it's like, you know, what worked for me doesn't necessarily, uh, is not going to work for the other person. And so we have a athlete right now who's pregnant and like, just because I was able to do this, this, and this doesn't mm -hmm. mean she's going to be, and she may not have the same experience that she, she won't have the same experience that I have. Yeah. And she's not guaranteed to have an easy pregnancy or an easy labor, um, because she's exercising. Yeah. It's just, it's just so hard. Like, because everyone is so different and it's never going to be the same for anyone. Um, and, and through my experience with, uh, being pregnant and, and having the baby, like that's how it is for everything related to that. Like mm -hmm. everything for raising her for, um, postpartum experience for labor experience, like 
I can't take someone else's advice because their experience, like my experience is not going to be the same as theirs. Um, and so that's what makes that like comparison game like tenfold now, because it's like, I can't, I can't compare my experience or what my, what my daughter is doing to someone else's 10 month old, because it's a whole different, like, they're not going to be the same. Yeah. There, there are ways that you can talk in certain generalities about these things as a coach to a, a female athlete through pregnancy and postpartum. You can have certain generalizations that are rules of thumb that you can lean into, but there, you can't have absolutes. There's a lot of yeah. dangers in absolutes too, because you might think that you're telling this person, hey, I know that you can do this. I've seen all these other women do this. And once you put that absolute into the equation, what if that woman doesn't feel comfortable doing that? Or what if she starts to feel something that's funky that you have not experienced any of the five, 10, 15, 20, whatever women have gone through a pregnancy through your uh, class and your care. That is a dangerous game to play. And I think that ultimately that's kind of part of the message for coaches here is like, yes, you, you should rely on your education, your experience, Ultimately, what you have to rely on is the conversation that you're going to have with the, with the female, with the woman, and what she's comfortable with and not comfortable with, what her doctor is telling her and advising her to do, to not do, and always defer to them in, in those situations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. You mentioned this is going to be a big change in direction, but you mentioned the Big Fish Foundation, and you were recently mm-hmm. there for an event. Uh, past couple of weekends ago with my good buddy, James Hobart. Tell us a little bit about what Big Fish is all about. Yeah. So um, the Big Fish Foundation is uh, a program that supports veterans. Mm-hmm. Um, so they uh, support veterans in basically anything that like they need. Um, but the big thing is like raising awareness on veteran suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh Tosh, um, puts on a fundraiser each year. And, um, last year I was aware of the fundraiser and, um, kind of was like, Oh, that's cool. You know, like didn't really know a lot about it. Uh, and this year I got, uh, kind of a, I think I got, he sent me an Instagram message and was like, would you be interested? And I was like, yes. (laughs) um absolutely like it's a huge honor for me to uh to have been asked to do it um because you know uh I respect Tosh I respect um his program I respect everything that like goes on with through that um and I respect everyone that's involved in it. So, um, for me being, you know, asked to do it, it was not even a question, not even, a, um, not a second delay. Like, yep, I'm in. Um, and so, uh, went out to Colorado. We, um, this year it was a 30 hour event. We did, um, it was five athletes. Uh, it was me, Brista Mayfield, uh, Mike Long, James Hobart, and Josh Bridges. And then it was five veterans. Oh, wow. So from, um, so each athlete was paired with a veteran for three hours at a time. 
So we got to be with each veteran twice. Um, and, uh, we did the first, uh, 90 minutes was a trail run. So we had 90 minutes to complete as many trail runs as, uh, we could. It was like 1.25 miles, um, halfway through the trail. So we'd go down the trail and then, um, on the way back up, we had to pick up a log, um, and carry a log back. So it was as many logs as we could get back. Each team could only, the pair could only bring back one. So it wasn't like we could carry two log like mm. together. So we worked as a team to bring a log back. Um, the logs were color coordinated. So like gold was the highest color, the, the most points. And then um, red was the lowest, white was the middle, and then blue was the second um, highest. Mm. So uh, 90 minutes to do as many uh, trail runs as you could do. And then uh, the next 90 minutes was on machines. So the first station was um, assault or echo bike and burpees. And then the other station was rowing and sandbag hold. So and that's the just echo the first bike three and- hours of the, uh, the <laughs> event. And this is a 30 hour event. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh. Yes. So, um, so yeah, it was, uh, we just continued that for 30 hours. So we go trail machines, trail machines, trail machines, trail machines. Unfortunately, I had the, uh, lucky, um, not, I don't know, like something happened and, uh, I ended up doing trail trail machine trip. So I ended up, Oh, you were doubling up on the trail twice in a row. I had to do the trail twice in a row two times. So the first time halfway through and Mm. then the other halfway through. Um, so it's essentially like a 30 hour endure. uh, It's a 30 hour endurance event. It was straight 30 hours of fitness. Like maybe we got like 10 minutes, um, recovery. And that was, uh, you know, if you didn't like, if you wanted the recovery, Mm. like a lot of times, like there was some teams that would go straight through and they would get, had like 30 seconds left in the 90 minutes. And before they had to go to the next machine. Wow. Um, so, you know, it, it kind of just depended on how bad do you want it? And, um, you know, that I think was something that I learned when I, uh, was there is that, uh, you know, there was a lot of times when I could have gotten another lap. Um, and I chose not to. Yeah. Uh, so that's my, um, was a big part of like looking back at it. Like, you know what I could have. Yeah. Well, I'll keep going. Sorry my mind was telling me that like, I, I didn't need to. Yeah. But there's also probably plenty of times that you might've wanted to stop or might wanted to quit. And you might've looked at that 30 hours and been like, nah, you know, 10 hours or 20 hours is enough. And you made it through and you know, you're better for it. There's a lot of growth that can happen at those kind of events. I've talked to James a bunch about uh, his work with Brian Shantosh and what they do. And, uh, I am very interested at some point in going out there and putting myself in the arena, but, um, 
that's an amazing accomplishment in itself. And, you know, uh, congratulations and thank you very much for going out there and, and working with yeah. the veteran community. That's very, very cool. How was it working with somebody? Did the veterans have specific training in going into this, knowing that they're going to work out for 30 hours? Or was this kind of like their first taste at uh, ultra endurance event? Um, a lot of, a lot of people, it was kind of like, there was a couple that, um, kind of had like a little bit of like mm. endurance background. Um, but there was, uh, you know, most of us didn't know what we were getting into. So a lot of us just thought that like, we were going to go like maybe like 90 minutes on 90 minutes off. So leading up to it, <laughs> yeah, like. <laughs> That's Leading funny because it turned it, into three hours of nonstop. <laughs> Leading up to it, I uh, did like a 24-hour one. And so we did every hour on the hour, 10 minutes. 10 minutes of a machine at about 80%. Mm. Um, and I was like, okay, cool. Like I got, you know, okay, I can plan, you know, for some rest in that 45 minutes. Or we're going to have like 90 minutes to do something. And we're probably going to have, you know... 45 minutes rest in that 90 minutes. And that was not the case. <laughs> there was no opportunity for sleep at all. Wow. So, wow. Yeah. Um, it was cool to, uh, experience like that, um, kind of like new, like some people, like my first partner that I like went, um, on the trail run with, like, I don't have a lot of trail running experience and he was able to kind of coach me through. He's like, all right, we're going to just haul down the hill and like, and then we're going to, we're going to go fast down and then we're going to walk the up, you know? And so him like talking me through that really helped. Mm. Um, and I learned something because I'm not, I'm not really experienced on trails. So, yeah. um, so that was cool, like to kind of take a little bit of something out from everyone. Well, very cool. I'm, that's, um, that's something that I don't think a lot of people really experience in their lives is that kind of push through not only the physical barrier, not only the mental barrier, the emotional barrier. You can get those things uh, through really tough and long, challenging workouts, but you're pushing through this natural instinct that we have to rest and to sleep. And you, you went 24 hours plus, which a lot of people will never do. Um, did you have any, like, uh, did you reach the point of like any sort of like mini delirium where you're like, what, like, what is going on here? Like I'm sleep deprived. Now I'm like dehydrated. I have looking for energy. Do you have any of that stuff happen? Any? Like, yeah, I, yeah, I definitely um, got to a place where like, it, um, I felt like myself like getting emotional, um, and like just wanting to kind of like shut down and, um, and, uh, and, you know, I, I noticed that, uh, I kind of kept it that all that in. And so I didn't allow myself to get, um, like get emotional. Had I like talked about like what I was feeling, I probably would have just like started crying. Aww, um, yeah. And, but I didn't, I didn't like voice it. Um, and so like, I, I think it's, a, it's interesting for me that like, when I voice those things, when I voice that, like, um, I can't do it anymore. Like what's going on in my head. Um, it, it, when I can keep it in, like, it doesn't become like, I don't have to believe it. Hmm. 
but when, if I voice it, um, I'm afraid that I will believe it. If I like start saying like, I can't do this anymore. Like it's going on in my head for sure, but it's not going on out loud. And therefore like it, it's, it doesn't become true to me. Um, so it's, it's kind of interesting, um, that side of it for me. Yeah. That that's another interesting one because I think some people probably would say, Hey, if I don't voice this, if I don't say it out loud and I don't allow somebody else to tell me you can do this, you can get through it, then I'm going to quit. I'm going to stop. But I think I'm, I probably fall fall a little bit more in, in the category that you fall into where I can think certain things, but I can also push them down and say, Hey, listen, I'm here for a greater, uh, a greater good. I've got this teammate, this partner next to me. We're going to get through this together. I don't want to let him down. He doesn't want to let me down. I don't even want to say it. I don't want to say that I'm thinking about quitting. Let's just go the next step, right? Whatever that next one is. And, um, for me, I find a lot of strength and comfort in that, but I know not everybody's the same. Other people need to say it out loud. They need to let people know what they're thinking and feeling, and they need to have that uh, assurance that they can get through it, which is fine. And everybody's different, like we were saying before as well. Um, uh, I think the, I think I would say the biggest thing with that is like being in a situation where um, the people that you are voicing it around to know what your ultimate plan is. What the goal um, is. Yeah. So if I was to voice it and I was around people who, um, knew that like that, that wasn't really what I wanted. That was just how I was feeling at a low point, then, uh, it would be okay for me. But if it, I was with somebody who was going to allow me to give up and was going to allow me to, to quit, um, then that's when it turns bad, Mm. you know? So, yeah, it becomes, yeah, that's certainly, uh, it becomes an easy way out. Uh, and, yeah. You know, you know that somebody's around you is going to let you kind of pull the pin, you know, for mm-hmm. lack of a better term. Carlene, it's been really fun catching up with you. It's been really fun talking. I didn't know our Thank conversation you. was going to go this route. I'm really glad that it did. There's some other stuff that I have here on my list that I would love to talk to you in the future about. Um, can you tell my listeners where they can find out more about you and CrossFit St. Helens? Um, yeah, so I'm team Carlene on Instagram and, um, we're CrossFit St. Helens on Instagram also. Um, those are, you know, my biggest, uh, social medias and, um, yeah. And if I, if I could, one last thing, um, you know, you're very passionate also about, uh, sobriety and and Mm -hmm. reps for recovery is, is one thing that you are recovery RX, excuse me. Yes. RX is something that you guys are doing at CrossFit St. Helens. What, what is that? Uh, it's a recovery program for, um, anyone who has at least 48 hours clean and sober. Um, we offer free CrossFit three days a week. That's So, um, yeah. And then, uh, recovery RXD is, uh, the Instagram for that. Very cool. Well, Carlene, thank you very much. I hope you have a great rest of your day. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Hello, friends. MDV here. Thank you for listening to the Intro with MDV podcast. And if you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe for weekly downloads wherever you listen to your podcast. Remember, we have a new episode coming to you every Tuesday. And if you have time and five stars to spare, please leave me a rating and review on iTunes. 
If you're looking for more out of me, MDV, you can find me on Instagram at MDV underscore FIT. Until next time, friends, let's go.